We're continuing our series on the pillars of the Reformation this morning. This week, Tuesday, is Halloween, but also, and more importantly maybe, though we pay less attention to it, this Tuesday is Reformation Day. It's a day to remember the deep truths of our Christian faith. And through this Pillars of the Reformation series the last few weeks, that's exactly what we've been doing. We've been coming back to some of the basics of our faith. Our tendency is to kind of drift away from some of our foundations, from some of the most important things, and it's good for us to come back to them intentionally every now and then. This week, we are coming back to the notion, to the idea, to the deep truth of grace alone. For this week, we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Let's read God's Word. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live, when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. This is God's word for us today. My first point for this morning is that God graciously delivers us from our sinful ways. God graciously delivers us from our sinful ways. A few years ago, my family spent some time with another set of family friends and then friends of theirs. We were all about the same age. We had kids about the same age. And so we had a good weekend together. We went out to dinner one evening and in between the craziness of kids throwing silverware and throwing food and running around and doing what kids always seem to do at restaurants, I talked with this guy who we just met. And as we were talking, it turned out that he had some pretty serious health issues. In particular, he had this really terrible family history of heart conditions, and he was really, really worried about it, really about, worried about what that would mean for his life. But at the same time, that whole weekend, I had never seen that guy without a cup of coffee or a can of pop in his hands. And even as we were sitting there talking about his heart trouble and all his health conditions, he was chugging pop like you would not believe. Every few minutes, he'd call the waiter over, another Coke, another Coke. And then he switched to Mountain Dew for a while. Mountain Dew, Mountain Dew, bring it on. Come on, more and more. And at some point, he took a big, deep drink of his Coke. He looked at me with kind of a guilty, sad face and said, yeah, you know, I really should quit this. I know this, all this caffeine is just terrible for me. It's bad for my heart. But I just, I just find it so hard to give up. I mean, I, I know it's, it's killing me, but I just find it so hard to give up. For every human being in this world, sin is, sin is killing us. Sin is deadly. It's addictive. It's controlling. But we find it so hard to give up. 
even though we know, deep, deep down, we know that we're dead in our sins. Ephesians 2 opens by telling us that we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. And we need to understand that. We need to hear that in order to understand why it matters that God is gracious to us. Apart from God's work in sin, we are all doomed. We're captivated by these things that we can't get rid of. And so twice just in this passage, Ephesians reminds us that we were dead in our trespasses. And verses 2 and 3 talk about how we were dead in our sins when we were following the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air and our own, our own desires and thoughts, the, the flesh it calls it. The world, the devil, and our own flesh, our own nature, they all conspire to make us dead in our sins. Ephesians is telling us that the patterns of this world are broken. It's not saying everything about the world is bad because God made this place and he made it good. But it is telling us that all human cultures, societies, the way things work, those things squeeze us into a conformity that does not always fit with God's ways and God's will. And Ephesians tells us it's not just kind of the, the surface level of things, but that there's a deeper level of power that the devil, Satan, and demons are out there, and they are, they are at work doing their best to pull us away from God. And if that wasn't enough, Ephesians tells us we're broken on the inside. It's not just that there are ways of the world out there or that the devil is out there and those things, those things cause us trouble. It's that on the inside. Our very desires and thoughts, the things that we want and the plans that we make to get them, even those are broken and lead us deeper and deeper into sin and into death. It's not good news, but we need to hear it. As Ephesians says, we were, we are dead in our trespasses apart from Christ. But then Ephesians gives us the good news that in Christ we have hope. Twice in this passage, in verses 5 and 8, it tells us we have been saved by grace. When we were dead, God made us alive with Christ. Ephesians tells us that God makes us alive with Christ. And it doesn't actually say, we tend to read it as in Christ, but the actual word there is with Christ, that whole line made us alive with, is one word in the original language, and it is a word that literally shows up nowhere in the ancient world except right here in the New Testament. Us being made alive with Christ is such a unique and such a powerful thing that Paul, the author of Ephesians, he had to make up a whole new word to express what he wanted to express here. Somehow in God's grace, Christ's death brought us to life. God brought us into a whole new kind of life with Christ. And God has tied us so closely to Christ our Savior that we can be assured that if we belong to Jesus, that we are with him forever. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, as long as Jesus is alive, you are alive with him. And Jesus is God himself. Jesus will live forever. So in Christ, 
we know, we can be assured that we have life forever. And then Ephesians tells us that God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And both of those things are past tense. They aren't saying, oh, someday when Christ comes again, you'll be, you'll be raised up and seated with Christ. What it's saying is already, right now, we as believers have a totally new kind of life. We exist in a totally new way. We used to be enslaved by the world, by the devil, by our own nature. And now we've been delivered from all that. We've been taken out of the realm of sin and death. And we have been moved into heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. In Christ, with Christ, by God's grace, we have been transformed. By grace, by God's grace, we have been saved. We were objects of wrath, but God made us objects of his mercy. We were dead in our sins, but God made us alive with Christ. We have been saved from our sins by God's grace alone. Now, we've talked about how that's true with regard to our old sinful ways of being, but there's another, another trap, another problem that we often get into that we need to talk about too. It's not just that God's grace saves us from our sin. It's that God's grace saves us from our need, from our attempts to save ourselves. Even if we've left sin behind, so often we, we leave that and we turn to legalism. We turn to our own works as a way to find salvation. And then God, well, God graciously delivers us from our attempts to save ourselves, too. In the story, Stranger Than Fiction, Harold Crick is an IRS agent. And Harold likes rules. And he likes to follow the rules. That makes him a good IRS agent, right? But in the story, he has to audit a baker, Anna Pascal, who's refusing to pay some of her taxes. Not all of them, just some of them. So Harold has to go to this bakery and he has to figure out what's going on, dig through all the records, and, and do an audit. And Anna makes Harold's life totally, totally miserable. She keeps very, very good, very, very clear records, nicely filed away, everything perfect. But for Harold's benefit, she takes the filing cabinet, she dumps it all out, messes all the papers up, throws them around, and then dumps them in a box, crinkles them all up, and hands them to Harold and says, have a nice day. And so Harold spends all kinds of his time digging through paperwork, trying to figure out what's going on, and trying to figure out what the right number is for the taxes. And at the end of one very long day, as Harold's about to walk out the door of the bakery, Anna stops him and says, you have had a long, miserable day. I know because I made sure you had a long, miserable day. But hey, I made some cookies for you. Why don't you take these cookies home and I hope your evening is better than your day. And Harold is worn out and he just wants to go home. But those cookies look so good. But the IRS has regulations about things like this. They say that you can't accept gifts as an IRS agent from people you're auditing. And this makes pretty good sense, right? We don't want our tax collectors to be bribed and paid off. So Harold knows there are these regulations. So he said, oh, uh, you know, I can't accept these as a gift, but I'll pay you for them. I'll, I'll pay you for them, then everything's going to be okay. So what do I owe you? And then he realizes that Anna's been working late and she made these things especially for him 
as an act of grace. These aren't cookies she just grabbed off the counter. These are things that she planned and made especially for him as a gracious gift. And Harold's response, oh, let me just pay for those. That'll make it okay. He's wrecked the moment. He's taken this from being an act of grace, a moment of being together, a gift to receive, and he's turned it into just another economic transaction. He can't let go of the letter of the law, and so he ruins the moment. And as Harold turns to walk dejectedly out the door, he turns back and he says to Anna, you won't understand this, but I know I'm living in a tragedy. We're all living in a tragedy in different ways. Some people are stuck in those old ways of sin, and some people are stuck in the tragedy of continually trying to earn their own salvation. But just like we're dead in our sins, when we're working apart from Christ, we're also dead in our works. Just like everyone else, people who try to save themselves are objects of God's wrath. Verse 8 tells us, by grace we've been saved. And then verse 9 adds the line, not by works so that no one can boast. In this text, Ephesians has in mind people who are far, far, far away from God and also people who think that they've gotten close to God by doing all the right things. Paul was the author of Ephesians, and Paul, before his conversion to Christ, was one of those people who'd done all the right things. If anyone was close to God, it was him. And so Paul knows what he's speaking of when he says here, by grace we've been saved, not by work, so that no one can boast. Even good people, even people who do good works need God's grace. And sometimes people who are quote-unquote good people are actually in a worse situation than people who know they're bad. People who know they're broken, who know they're sinful, who know they have a need of salvation and a Savior, sometimes they're much more open to Christ than people who think they've paid their dues and they've done the right thing and they've, they've got all the good marks and the credit is in their favor. If you don't think you have any need, you're never going to look for a savior. And if you never look to Jesus, you're never going to be saved. But we as human beings, we we love to pay our own way. We love to depend on our own works to be to be sure. It's really hard for us to accept God's grace and not keep coming back and trying to pay. And so often when we try to pay our way to salvation, when we try to make ourselves seem okay by the good works we do, we end up having to boast about it. Sometimes it's that stand on the street corners, put our names on buildings and proclaim to the world, look what good work I've done. And other times it's quieter things. It's doing things that that we know will be noticed, but we, we try to make it look like we don't want to be noticed. But in so many ways, people boast of how good they are. But Ephesians tells us that when it comes to salvation, boasting in anything except for Jesus Christ is empty and pointless. Our deliverance, our salvation, our hope is not at all based on what we do. Because of God's grace, because of God's grace, he works in us through faith. God delivers us from our sins 
And he delivers us from our, from our works, from our attempts to save ourselves. That repetition in this text of by grace you have been saved is really important. We need to hear that message again and again and again. By grace. By grace alone. We have been saved. Not by our goodness. Not by what we do. But by what Christ has done for us. Grace alone is the means of our salvation and it's applied to us only through faith. That's what verse 8 tells us. By grace you have been saved through faith. And there's a couple ways that we can understand what the text means by through faith. And some people, some people really insist on one, some insist on the other. I'm going to give you both today and tell you we should hold on to both. The first point that phrase through faith is trying to make is that we are not saved by our works. We are not saved by, by measuring up to some line, by being good enough. We are saved by simply accepting God's grace. We are saved through faith, nothing else. But then the second meaning there, the second meaning that through faith could have in that verse is that we are saved by grace through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. We are saved by grace because Jesus is our faithful Lord and Savior. Jesus was so faithful to his intent to save us that he suffered and he died. He went through terrible things to save us. And anybody who would die for us, we can be pretty sure they'll be faithful to us. And so Christ's death, his resurrection, his continual intercession for us, those things assure us that he is faithful and that he will save us by his grace. The point is that this is all about God's work. There's nothing, nothing we can do, nothing we need to do to earn God's grace. God has worked in us to save us by grace alone. And that's why verse 10 tells us that we're God's workmanship. We're God's workmanship. We don't make ourselves new. God makes us new. In Christ, with Christ, God works in us to restore us, to make us who we should be, to bring us back to him. So hear this clearly. By grace alone, we are saved. By grace alone, we are saved. So if you have faith in Jesus Christ, be assured that you belong to him forever. It's not like you're saved one day and the next day you're not, and you're saved the next day and you're not, depending on how faithful you manage to be that day. No, we're saved by Christ's finished work. And if you don't really believe in Jesus today, if you've been living your own way, or if you've been trying to work yourself up to be good enough so that God will love you, give it up. It's not going to work. But Christ's work for you, Christ's work for you will make you into God's workmanship, will make you perfect. By grace alone, we're saved. And having said all that, Ephesians has one more point for us this morning. 
We need to get to it at the end because we need to hear everything else first, but we should get to it. And this is that third point for today. God graciously enables us to do good works. We need first to hear that we're saved by grace alone. But after that, after that, we need to hear the call to extend grace to others. By grace, we are saved. And so we're in a position to graciously give to others. As followers of Jesus, we don't at all work so that God will love us, but we do good works because God already loves us. Let me give you an example here. Let's pretend, and it will have to be pretend, but let's pretend that I give all of you a billion dollars this morning. And a billion dollars, I mean, a billion dollars is going to take care of all of your needs forever, right? And it probably will take care of most of your wants. We have infinite wants, so I'm not sure it'll take care of all of it. But you've got a billion dollars, so you are set for life, right? It's yours. End of discussion. But after that, I give you another million. And I tell you, that million dollars, give that away to somebody else. I don't care what you do, good cause, but give it to anybody or anything you want to do. Now, if I give you just a million, it's going to be a little hard to give it all, all away. But if I've given you a billion dollars and I give you just a little bit more, okay, just a lot more, all of a sudden you're in a position to give that away joyously, gracefully, with thanksgiving even. In Christ, by God's grace, God has given us everything that we need. If you belong to Jesus, you have everything that you need forever. You are set. You're set for this life, and you've got the greatest retirement package ever coming your way in the next life. And because we have that, because we have been given so much in Christ Jesus, because we can stand secure in him, because of that, we're able to do good works for others. We have everything we need as believers and so we're able to be gracious. And Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that God has prepared good works for us to do. God has prepared good works for us to do. And that means that there are certain things that God has prepared you to do. Maybe there are certain hurts that only you can heal. Maybe there is a certain someone who is going through some hard time and only you, only you can help them in the way that they need to be helped right here and now. Maybe there is some particular trouble in this world that you have been especially equipped and prepared to address. There are any number of things that all of us are especially equipped, prepared, placed to do. So reflect on that today. Are there ways that based on God's grace, you can be gracious to someone else? Can you see some good works that God has prepared in advance for you to do? He has good works in mind for all of us. Do we see them? Now don't go off the rails on this and think if I do enough good works, then God will love me and I'll be assured enough. No, we find new life by grace alone as God brings us to life with Christ. But based on that foundation, with that need taken care of, ask yourself, how can I be gracious to others 
as God has been gracious to me. Given that I've experienced God's wonderful, life-changing, amazing, transformative grace, how can I live differently now? And always, always remember, always come back to the foundation that it is by grace that we have been saved. Not from ourselves, not by our own works, but by the grace that God has worked in us through Christ, we have been saved. God makes us alive with Christ. By grace, we have been saved. All glory be to God.